Hello, I'm David Hepworth. Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear, the latest of hundreds of chats Mark Allen and I have had over recent years, some between ourselves and others with musicians, authors, comedians, and other people we like. If you'd like to help make sure they continue, you might consider becoming a Patreon supporter by visiting patreon.com slash wordinyourear or just by liking or subscribing in whatever way you prefer. On with the show. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. So really... We're rolling. So, Fraser, you're our Van Halen correspondent. Oh, blimey, what, that, what have I done now? <laughs> and uh, I think there's something about the, the makeup of the current Van Halen, as reformed and currently started on tour in the United States very recently, that makes them pretty much unique. Is How it? many people in the group, Fraser, well, are the, called the, Van Halen? The, traditionally, there were two. There was Eddie on guitar, and then the uh, the drummer was also a Van Halen, a brother. Alex. Alex Van Halen. Alex Van Halen. And then they were uh, a bass player called Michael Anthony. Michael Anthony, yes. And then there was uh, David Lee Roth. And uh, and he left, and Sammy Hagar came in, and all that kind of stuff. Right, OK. But now they're all back Hagar's together. out now, and Hagar's David Lee Roth's back. Yeah. Yes. How well, many Roth's been back a while, but, he he's, yeah. but the, the new album is the first one they've done with him, I so, think. So how many Van Halens? Now there are three, I believe. There are three? How does that work, Fraser? They have a son in there, don't they? They have Wolfgang. I was just about to say, I bet they've bred, obviously. This <laughs> is the second generation. Yeah. This is it. It's like, of course. It's, there is Wolfgang Van Halen, who's Eddie Van Halen's son. Yep. Uh, one of many kind of bass players and people like that that you find joining quite high-profile groups nowadays. It's not unusual, is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. There was one I noticed the other week, I can't remember. Who is it? Uh, oh, Pete, Peter Hook's currently... He tours with his son, that's doesn't right. he? I think that's it's right. The, it's, yeah. the, it's, the, it's the Jason Bonham syndrome. Okay. <laughs> but there's, 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 there's the, the Rick Wakeman thing, isn't it? Because his son now has his old part in Yes. No. I think <laughs> Rick, Wa- Rick Wakeman's Rick. son is the key player in Yes. That's I mean, I actually didn't go to Rick. Can't be bothered to do it anymore. No. Send the well, So he just yeah. digs the boy out Pretty takes commission. Yeah. Takes his old dad's capes out of some wardrobe <laughs> somewhere in the mansion. Dusts them down. The latest thing in the Yes story is fantastic. You know, John Anson got ill and they decided to tour without him and then they introduced the singer from a tribute band. Recently, the singer from the tribute band has fallen ill, and instead of getting John Anderson back in, they've got another singer from another tribute band to replace him. 
See, that's not insulting at all. No. <laughs> if you were Anderson, you, you wouldn't be sitting at home now weeping, would you? No. You're hiding under a huge cushion. But imagine now the, the, the position of David Lee Roth in the reformed Van Halen. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's the star and the focal point, but he's the only member who's not in the family, you know what I mean? And if ever members of bands are prone to thinking that there's a conspiracy against them, he's, you know, he's, uh, he's more likely to feel that way than just about anybody, isn't they're, he? They're, I'm sure they go into a huddle every now and again <laughs> in the corner of the dressing room. Over, su- sort of over Sunday lunch. Yeah, we sorted out, yeah. Yeah, we sorted out the set list a earlier. A series of Masonic handshakes. <laughs> Start talking in weird, coded fashion, and he must feel very excluded. But I'm saying also, I'm going to make one further point. If Wolfgang Van Halen is in the group now, and let's say he's in his late 20s or something like that, it probably is, I think there's going to be a group called Van Halen for the next 50 years, isn't there? It's a franchise. It's a franchise, isn't it? Surely. It's like the Osmonds. So Wolfgang's kids would be playing lead guitar it'll and bass. Be, it'll just kind of carry on, won't it? 2040 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah it will. Yeah. So watch this space. Uh, this is the Word Podcast. Uh, we've had a busy week, haven't we? We had a gig you, on Monday. You have been to... today. You've been to two concerts. I mean, is that right? Just, I went to Almost two. unheard of. <laughs> And I'm going to a football match. You haven't match been tonight. to a concert since the late 1970s. <laughs> That's not what true. Are they like? Can you sit down no, still? That's not true. true. We had this joke, I think. Oh, do we? Week okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I went to see, Van, I went to see uh, Randy Newman last night. But anyway, Monday night, we had our own word gig, one of our Word in Your Ear series of gigs at our pub across the road, the Lexington. Featuring, uh, let's the, featuring from left with from, pictures. Left with pictures. Emily Barker and the Red Clay Halo, who have been or on the hero, podcast. As I introduced them. Or, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> no. Uh, well, and I'm the guy who did the, the, the box set or beetroot routine without really tossing the coin, didn't I? I don't know. What do I, the people who won didn't see. The guy who won the, uh, the box set, I think, wanted the beetroot because uh, he didn't like the wall by the Floyd. <laughs> 170 quid's worth of stuff. And the guy who won the beetroot clearly won the box set. Well, I did something really crucial wrong, didn't I, Fraser? I, did, I, did, I, did. I think you, you uh, announced the coin toss without saying whether it was head or tails that was going to be the winner. Oh, right. So I just went ahead, so you get the box. And, and then you, you kind of nominated a prize in the direction yeah, of... they both uh, seemed a bit put out. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't understand I why. thought it worked spectacularly well. I was, uh, okay. I was enjoying it. But anyway, top There's of the room bill. for improvement, I think. <laughs> there is, yeah. Polish it. Top of the bill, Eliza Carthy and her band. They were extraordinary. Well, they, well, the whole thing was extraordinary, wasn't it? The whole well, evening. I, the, the whole thing. It, it sounds terrible, really, to talk about an event that we actually did promote ourselves. Why? But, but, Why? But I have to say <laughs> that, uh, you know, it's, it sounds as though we would be contractually obliged to say it was great, but I actually thought that Eliza Carthy was more than great. I thought that was... I don't know what you thought. I thought it was absolutely I thought she was, I thought she was sensational. She was terrific. But I was sort of watching from the side of the stage from my, from my DJ Eerie. Up in the top there, so I, I wasn't getting the full effect, you know. But uh, but it's just well, clearly I remarkable on a number of levels. I thought it was absolutely. I rather made a fool of myself by tumbling into the dressing room directly after they'd gone off stage and delivering a kind of monologue about how fantastic I thought like it was. But then again, I think if you've just come off stage, you're probably quite pleased That's if somebody what comes to hear this. That was tremendous, you know. See, musicians, when they come off stage, there's a post-coital glow about them, isn't there? There is. They want, well, if they play they want to be that, told, you know, darling, yeah, you were fabulous. They do. So. They want you to light another cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yes, I do. Yes, I've never had it like that before. No, absolutely. <laughs> you want to the earth <laughs> moved, etc. <laughs> but the earth really did move. It was that quick. I thought... <laughs> 
<laughs> too short to say. It's actually two and a half minutes long. Oh dear. But anyway, oh god. But anyway, <laughs> they were terribly good. They were they? unbelievably good. They, I, I think, various things struck me. I've seen Liza Carly play, but only in um, strange combinations like like the Floating Palace and. Uh, other kind of collectives, and I've never actually, I suppose, seen her in her own right playing the kind of music she composes with the arrangements that she's um, invented. And I thought it was just astonishing. I thought it was astonishing for, for two reasons, actually. One is that musically, obviously, she comes from this uh, extraordinary Watterson Carthy dynasty, and so she grew up with this uh, amazing mixture of music and so there's classical music in there, folk music in there. Blues in there, music hall, wasn't there? a lot of music hall, and uh, an a- amazing um, a combination of instruments. I know from where I was standing, Fraser and I were standing at the side of the stage, the double bass player, a girl with no shoes on, plucking and uh, sawing away at the double bass, behind her a cello, and then a brilliant drummer. And a fantastic wall, a wall of perspectives, baffles, he was in the studio. And not just a really good drummer, a brilliant. really good singer. Brilliant singer, brilliant <laughs> drummer, the whole brand, band was fantastic. And, so to see and then these, a keyboard player. The, and a keyboard player, but the bass, it's just See them playing their cello and bass in unison and in harmony, and one would play classical, one would play jazz, and they were just just this extraordinary dynamic they got out of the idea of a rhythm section with him playing these sort of military tattoos, you know, with those wonderful um, timpani uh, sticks with great felt tips on them, you know, and yeah. he could roll, he could roll drums with one hand. Not many people could do that. He was exceptional. And so they're playing this extraordinarily complicated sort of interwoven uh, rhythm section and singing. Uh, the two girls sang a backing vocal. It didn't appear to be anything to do with what anywhere, everyone else was singing. Did you notice that? They yeah. just they were singing their own part in perfect harmonies while playing these very complicated parts. So the musical side of it was very kind of rich and very fascinating. But the other side that really got to be was the kind of theatrical stagecraft, if you like, because she's grown up in a family with two performers. Her mother is a ter- terrific presence on stage, and her father, you know, ab- absolute legend, enormous dynamic about him and she just got on stage and immediately took command she did she had a, um, uh, an accordion and started playing it started with a, also wonderful introductions to these songs yeah she does this song uh, called blood on my boots which she played at the floating palace uh, show at the barbican the other day but without the intro she, she simply cut to the point which was the, i went to this show and i got a bit drunk and she plays the song and it's a, it's a song about her being down in London. She gets great mileage out of that, you know, because cause she's one of those people who's from the north but doesn't come down to London and be scathing about it. She's absolutely thrilled to be in yeah, London. Yeah, yeah. But is also standing outside of London and looking at London in a slightly quizzical fashion. And the whole gag is that for the first half of the show that she goes to, dressed up to the nines on her own, it's an awards show, isn't it? She's, no, it's, it's uh, uh, Jerry Springer. Oh, Jerry, Jerry Springer, the opera. Jerry Springer, the opera, sorry, that's right. Uh, yeah. The premiere. For the first half, it's free drinks. So she's absolutely sucking down the fizz. And uh, the second half, uh, they, they charge you. and she it's does five five about, It's five, five of class. And she said, whenever I say that anywhere other than London, people go... Bloody <laughs> hell! People look at each other in absolute horror. The colour drains from their faces, you know. And if you, you say that in London, people think, "Christ, I would have got a whole trailer. That's a bargain. <laughs> I'll have six. Where is it again? <laughs> <laughs> it's in That's brilliant. I'll have my birthday party there. Happy hour. Happy. Hour. <laughs> so uh, that was very funny. But anyway, it was so great the build-up that she did to this whole thing. She about is. a song where she's obviously going to get drunk. What she does in the second half of the song, of course, is it is the second half of the show. Is she drinks other people's drinks, and that all all goes horribly wrong. But yeah. you know that the song's called Blood on My Boots. And so, you know, in the title, there's a clue to how it's all going to end it's, very messily. It's, it's one thing that struck me throughout the evening, actually. The, the, the one area that just fascinates me on shows like this is, uh, is people's rapport with the audience. 
Now, the audience were fantastic. Really? The audience were as, so as respectful. You, they were so respectful. I mean, I know at word gigs they always are, but this these people were exceptional. It was you, know, you could have had a pin drop as the acts were playing, and you're in a pub. Yeah, this is really unusual. Uh, but um, you know, we started off with left with pitchers who are very nice, but they're a little bit gauche. You know, they're the kind of. They don't look as if they're absolutely used to being on stage, but they did their best to kind of bridge the gap. They did their final tune kind Without of mics. beyond the PA, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. into the audience. And then you had Emily Barker and the Ray Clay Heller, a bit more practiced, and, you know, they do the good evenings and we are and all that kind of stuff. And then he just moves on to Eliza Carthy, who's just got that absolute assurance, you know, that she walks on stage and it's, I'm in charge now. Completely in charge. I'm in charge. And you can feel the audience... It's like something's been lifted from their shoulders because this person on stage has decided to be in charge. Yeah. They've taken that responsibility. And it's a wonderful, liberating thing when people do. But it's yeah. also incredibly so many performers because, because, you know, you think of those times you've willed some group to be good and you've wanted them to to enjoy themselves as much as you're trying to enjoy them, but yeah. it becomes impossible because they look agonised or self-conscious yes. or whatever. And it's like watching a public speaker or someone making a speech at a family wedding who clearly doesn't want to make the speech or can't wait for it to be over. That's a very difficult thing for everybody. Because everybody feels but to that. to see even the worst you... speech by somebody who really wants to make it is fine. It's fine. Because they're just loving it and they're having fun yeah. and they're improvising. Yeah. And she, I thought she was absolutely astonished. It was, it was terrific. And actually, we were talking about this earlier and it made me, made me think about, about great unexpected gigs you've been to. You know, that we, when people do their lists of, you know, greatest oh, gigs I've ever been to, they always, get, they always say, you know, I don't know, Bruce Springsteen at Wembley or something. You know, I always do Bob yeah. Marley or the Whalers that lies in. Well, it's obvious, you know, it's the kind of the big live album and all that kind of stuff. But actually, the things that you remember with most affection are very often the, the, the kind of small occasions, the... The way you find yourself in front of you watching somebody unexpected or in an unexpected place or when the pressure was off or this, yeah. that and the other. Yeah. And um and well, I was well, thinking well, well, well I was thinking about the ones that I that I, I remember that, that fit that description. And I've mentioned before, and I was actually checking the dates. I mentioned before Little Feet at the Rainbow in January nineteen seventy five when they went on as a support act to the Doobie Brothers. Oh yeah, and, and just off stage. and just completely blew <laughs> off stage. They were absolutely extraordinary. But then there was August the 12th, 1999, thanks to Wikipedia, I was able to look this up. I went to the, to the 100 Club to see Richard Thompson and his band do an, an, a warm-up before the weekend of Crop Ready. They were playing Crop Ready at the Fairport. Big Brilliant, thing. yeah. And it was Richard Thompson and Danny Thompson and uh, I can't exactly remember. Uh, but And then Teddy Thompson, who probably at the time was about 18 or something. Turning to Van Halen, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> was, was playing additional guitar. And they were just absolutely electric. They were astonishing. Because they were, they were rehearsed and they were ready. But there was no pressure on them. You, yeah. know, you know, there was 100 people in the place, or yeah, probably a bit more than that. Yeah, they were kind of mates or fans or whatever. So it just had that wonderful, relaxed feeling about it. That was fantastic. But actually, my, my ultimate unexpected gig delight was November the 23rd, 1996. I saw Crowded House playing outside the Sydney Opera House in Australia, oh, which is the famous Farewell to the World. That's right. Across, Huge concert. Across the, uh, now, the reason that that is 
belongs in this list is that was when the concert was supposed to take place, on the 23rd of November 1996. But Sydney that day had one of its unbelievable rainstorms. And when it rains in Sydney, boy, does it rain. Yeah, yeah. So badly that they, they said, sorry, we, we can't let these hundreds of thousands of people onto this, you know, this Benelong Point, I think it's called, where the Opera House is. And so we're postponing it at night. But meanwhile, they had a sound check down at the, you know, the concert grounds with a bunch of fans who'd flown in from all over the world and couldn't change their tickets. So they, they said to them, well, you can come in and watch the, you know. So you were in this huge so festival. Many well, there must have been a couple of thousand, which within that place yeah, is yeah. nothing at yeah, all. Yeah. You know, you, you could wander around. You could walk right up the stage. You could walk right back. You could look at the Harbour Bridge or whatever. And they did the full show with the lights and absolutely everything. But again, the kind of pressure was off them because it was, they were just running it through. And they had, all, you know, they, they had a sound check warmed by audience reception. You know what I mean? And it was an absolute delight. The concert the following night was wonderful. But I actually prefer... No, you would have done. Of course. Of course. I suppose it's also because I'm one of the few that's that's there, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did they react to the crowd? Oh, yeah, they completely did. They absolutely loved it. They were delighted with the whole thing. Everybody had just a, you know, kind of relaxed club-style experience, but within a huge... That would have been a very great, charged event for for both sides. Yeah, Yeah. place. It was extraordinary. brilliant. Have you got any, Fraser? A few, a couple of thoughts of were uh, with both soundcheck moments. Uh, years and years and years ago, I remember seeing The Cure played a very small gig at the garage, uh, what was then the Town and Country Club 2 on Holloway Road. And I don't remember anything at all about the gig, but I remember Robert Smith playing an acoustic guitar and doing the Jams English Rose <laughs> during the uh, soundcheck, which is the kind of thing you wouldn't expect him to do. And he did it beautifully and with a great deal of affection for the song. And I you would never remember have really clearly. How funny. And the other one was when uh, Oasis did their two enormous gigs at Nebworth. I was uh, I was working at the event, and uh, the night before the first of the two shows, they did a production rehearsal, and I sat out in the grass in front of the stage and watched them run through the entire set. And there was me and the guys in the sound desk and the guys operating the, li- the lighting and the band, and no one else. Really? I sat there by myself. No. The following day, there was you know 125,000 people. <laughs> That's absolutely where I was, and I clapped. Yeah, 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 <laughs> you were just you were the one person. I was pretty the one person. Like... Yeah, at the end of the, of the set, Noel nodded at me, and they walked off. You've been listening to the free feed of the Word Podcast. The full album-length version is only available to subscribers to the magazine. To sign up and to hear the rest of this podcast, go to www.wordpodcast.co.uk. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>